that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men! Oh, why are you doing this? <laughs> we two are only men. Human like you. We are bringing you good news. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea. everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven <laughs> and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. <laughs> Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derb. 
They preached the good news in their city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They stayed there a long time with the disciples. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom. Well, the gospel is spreading, but I hope you're getting the sense that none of this is easy. And so it is with us serving the Lord and doing the work of the ministry and even being Christians in a dark world. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And there is joy. And so let's take a look at what's going on here. What you're seeing in this chapter is you're, you're getting a mixed review here on the acceptance of the gospel. There's people who accept it and are excited about it. And then there's opposition. And like uh, two rails of a train track, those things seem to run parallel. Many times in life, people think, well, when everything's going good for me, then I'll be happy. And the truth is there's always things that are difficult and there's always things that are a blessing and they run parallel like train tracks in life. So if you're waiting for everything to be perfect so that you can be happy, you're waiting to retire so that you can be happy, you're waiting for you know everything, body, soul, and spirit to fall in line, I hate to burst your bubble. But until we are delivered from this body of sin and fall into the arms of Jesus, uh, there's always going to be hardship. There's always going to be struggle. But simultaneously, there's going to be blessing. So we need to learn to find the joy in life. I know that's easier said than done at moments. Can we say amen? amen? So here's the first missionary journey. We're in the second leg of it. Uh, in verse 1, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, stop at Iconium, and uh, they spoke in a manner that a large number of people were saved. Now, I want you to listen to that. They're in Iconium. They go to the synagogue first. They speak to the Jews, and it says, and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. And I want you to focus in on that for a second here. The gospel in and of itself is powerful. All by itself, it's powerful. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So all by itself, the gospel is powerful. But notice what it says, they spoke in such a way Meaning that the gospel is powerful, but when you deliver it skillfully under the anointing of the Holy Spirit with the full prowess of the giftings and the intellect that God gives you, it, it not only becomes powerful, but it is delivered in such a way that people can receive it. 
Have you ever heard someone preach that didn't have the gift of preaching? You know, when we were in Bible school, we, all of us had to go through preaching class. And some were called to be preachers, and it was obvious. And some were not called to be preachers, and it was obvious. But delivering the word with skill and precision and with a sincere heart, all of us can do that. Now, only Phil said amen. No, I don't want to do it, Pastor. You do it. I, it's not my thing. Listen, all of us can deliver it with sincerity. All of us can deliver it with a pure heart. All of us can deliver it with a wealth of experiences in life and things that God has proven to us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's working in us, walking with us, teaching us. So notice, Paul and Barnabas are delivering the word, not in a lackluster way, not in a confusing way, not in a disorganized way, but in a way that a large number of people believed. And I want you to get that. The gospel's powerful all by itself, but we have to do our due diligence in sharing it, in articulating it skillfully, and that's for all of us. The Jews and the Greeks were now responding to the same gospel message at the same time, and they were doing it in large numbers. Verse 2 says, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Do you hear that? So they're stirring up what? Discord. And they're embittering. They're somehow stirring up offenses. What are the offenses? What are the angles? The text doesn't tell us. But all we know is people who didn't believe didn't want others to believe. Misery loves company. <laughs> Blind people don't want other people to see. Lost people don't want anybody to be found. So we see the ones who didn't believe, the religious ones, the ones who were stuck on tradition and didn't really have any connection to God, didn't really even believe the scriptures that they studied and meditated. They stirred up trouble and uh, they stirred up the people and there's a mixed review. Some accept and some don't accept. Some uh, are excited and others stir up trouble. Now, verse three says they spent a long time in Iconium speaking boldly and God validated their efforts in, as they spoke. Now, notice they invested time. They spent a long time. Say a long time. long time. Not everything's quick and not everything's easy. Say amen. amen. Sometimes things take a long time. It is so quiet tonight. <laughs> This message is going to take a long time if you don't help me out. So they invested the time there, and that's a good thing. And they spoke boldly. And th that's an important thing that, you know, they, did, they weren't just mealy-mouthed or, or, or kind of wimpy. They spoke boldly because why? They had passion for what they believed with reliance upon the Lord who were testifying to the word of his grace, granting, the, the Lord granted what? That signs and wonders were done by their hands. And this is important here. And we see that what? They invested the time, they spoke boldly, they did their part, and God confirm their efforts with signs and wonders. Now, listen to me. It's much easier for people to argue with theology and philosophy than it is with miracles. Hello? People can argue theology all day long. You could, you could take one text in the Bible, sit down with five people, and everybody will have a different opinion. We know the, the worth of opinions, amen? You know, I, I heard somebody say something recently about the Constitution. Well, it means whatever we interpret it to be. No, it means what the Founding Fathers meant it to mean. This is where we get into trouble with our Constitution, with our, with our nation, and with the Word of God. Well, it means whatever it, I want it to mean. It's not the elastic gospel. 
It's not Mad Libs. It's not fill in the blanks. Hello, it's the Word of God. And so, you know, God confirms them. They're preaching boldly. There's signs and wonders. And, and, and people are, you know, they can argue with your philosophy. They can argue with their theology, but they can't argue with a miracle. Well, you know, he's, he was crippled. Now he's walking. We're going to talk about him in a minute. How do you argue with that? Well, he limps a little bit. What are they going to say? You know what else people can't argue with? Your testimony. When you lock horns with false teachers and, you know, cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever cults are out there and around, share your testimony. First, if you don't want to spend a long time with them, talk about Jesus. That he's the only begotten Son of God and how he saved you from your sin and how he delivered you. By, and share your testimony, man. You're going to have a short, powerful interaction. But I guarantee if you want to break the Bibles out and argue scripture with people whose minds are colluded and diluted and polluted by lies, I'm not sure how much of an effect you're going to have. So the signs and the wonders are there. That's a good thing. We should pray for them. You know, we should want God to, to do these things to confirm our work, our ministry. Verse four shows a mixed response. The gospel always brings a mixed response. It said, but the people of the city were divided. That word divided is such a powerful word. And it said, and some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. So the gospel didn't just bring massive revivals with no opposition. It brought division. And Jesus warned us that the gospel would bring division. He said he himself was a divisive person. In Matthew 10, 34 through 36, Jesus speaking, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Are you sure that was Jesus? Yeah. It's in red, so I know it's Jesus. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Wow. Jesus warned us there's going to be division. They're out preaching the gospel, and there's division. Why? Because some are going to believe, and some aren't going to believe. We should be undeterred by division, by opposition, by resistance. We should not be surprised by it, and we should not shrink back because of it. Some are going to believe, and some are not going to believe. Some are going to oppose, and there will be a divide because that's the nature of the gospel, because that's the nature of Jesus. You're either for Jesus, and you believe what he said, and you, you recognize who you are, a sinner, and you need him as a savior. If you're not willing to believe that, then you are not going to like Jesus very much. Do you notice a large percentage of our generation does not like Jesus? Even in our own nation, there are so many people that you bring up the name of Jesus and it's just an instant demonic pushback. God help us. Verse five and six, God makes Paul and Barnabas privy to the fact that the enemies of the gospel are planning to stone them. So again, we see this pattern, what? People uh, who are not excited about the truth, right away they get this murderous reaction. They want to shut those up forever 
who preach the truth. And so they get this you know, interaction from the Holy Spirit. They are made privy to the fact that these guys are planning to kill you. They're planning to stone you. So they go to Lyconia, Lystra, and Derb. Uh, those who are seeking to murder them for proclaiming the truth, that's nothing new. It's always been the pattern. They murdered the prophets. They, they resisted them. There was division. They, they still resist the truth. And in nations all around the earth, we've talked about Christian martyrs many times. We've even taken offering to support the voice of the martyrs. Why? Because there are modern-day martyrs who are being killed in countries all around the world for believing in Jesus and for sharing the truth of the gospel. So notice, what's happening here at the inception of the church still happens in the contemporary church. Nothing has changed. This gospel message is divisive. Some will oppose it to the point where they'll become murderous to those who believe it. Verse seven is a powerful verse, and I love it. And there they continue to preach the gospel. So they hear, hey, they're planning to stone us. So hey, let's go for a little drive, and we'll go to the next town. And they go to the next town, and they lay low for a while in a safe house. They take the underground railroad to an... They keep preaching, hello, Wednesday night. And this is what some of us need to get. Why? Because, you know, we step out a little bit in God. We ruffle the, the kingdom of darkness a little bit. And the devil goes, ah! And we go, oh, it's time to take a break. Time to take a break. We've got to be about our father's business. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be people who snarl at you. Ah, I don't like you. <laughs> Just look at him and say, I see you there, devil. I see you. No, don't say that. You can think that if you see it. But don't shrink back. And they don't shrink back. And they keep preaching the gospel. We, we need a little bit of tenacity, amen. We need a little bit of energy on Wednesday night. Hallelujah. So they're undeterred by the pushback. And never let anyone stop you from doing what God has called you to do. You know, what we could use in our generation right now, in, in, at this time in history, at this time in the church, is we could use a lot more guts and grit than we could timidity. We're just a little bit timid. In fact, we're so timid to the point that we don't want to offend anybody that people who are watching wonder, do you guys really believe what you say you believe? Because you're really not passionate enough to go out and, you know, you know go out on a limb for it. You kind of, you know, you kind of shrink back. Do you really believe what you say you believe? We're too timid sometimes. We're too careful sometimes. I'm not telling you to be a mess and be rude and stir up trouble and smack the hornet's nest for no reason, but I'm saying be bold with the gospel. They spoke boldly, and what happened? God, they stepped out. God stepped up. Signs, wonders, and miracles followed what they did. Maybe we'd have a lot more uh, signs, wonders, and miracles. Maybe we'd have a lot more uh, of the intervention of God. Maybe we'd have a lot more of the supernatural if we were just a little more bold. <laughs> need some guts, need some grit, need some backbone in the church. Say amen. amen. Verse 8 through 10 chronicles an absolute glorious miracle. This guy who is in Lystra, he's a man who is sitting there crippled for uh, forever. Listen to the account here. There's so many details about this man's situation that are very important. So listen, at Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength. Say no strength. 
no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb who had never walked. Now, that is pretty graphic description of this man's situation. And the details here are important. You know, he had no strength in his feet. Probably if, you know... We, we don't know this because there's no pictures in the Bible, which I wish there were, but you know, he probably had those little emaciated legs that people who have polio or crippled have with no musculature on the leg because he never used his legs. So if you can get this picture in your mind of someone with legs that are just bones and skin and just no muscle there, he had no strength in his feet. I believe that's what the word's trying to describe to us there. He was crippled from his mother's womb. This guy had a birth defect. It wasn't the result of an accident or, or a sickness or some kind of, you know, accident. That, no, he was born that way. So, I mean, this guy is crippled as you can get with no musculature, no strength in his feet. He never walked, never, ever, not one single step. Now, you might think this guy's situation is grim. <laughs> but see, God doesn't look at things like we do. He, he sees this as with all grim situations in the lives of man, as an opportunity to be glorified. He picked this guy on purpose. Why? Because he had all these things stacked up against him. Paul locked eyes with the crippled man. Look at the interaction here. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. So he's open, he's receptive. Who then and when he had fixed his gaze on him, he seen that he had the faith to be made well. Wow, this is awesome. Preaching to a crowd? Listen, I've been preaching a long time since I'm 14 years old. When I'm preaching, I can feel all kinds of things that are going on in the spiritual realm. I know who's with me. I know who's against me. I know who's thinking about the roast in the oven. I know all this with a two-circuit brain while still trying to remember my notes. So it's the Holy Ghost, okay? But I can feel spiritual pushback. You ask, you ask Pastor Frank, we, we, we feel these things as preachers, okay? So Paul's preaching, and he's feeling it out there, and the Holy Ghost is moving, and all of a sudden, he locks eyes with this guy, and they have a moment. Bam, he fixes his gaze on him. What, what was the connection there? Faith. Oh, man, when a preacher smells faith, man, you, you, you can get the flow going, Amen. When there's no faith, man, there's sometimes in the middle of a message you want to shake the dust off your feet, your sandals, and I'm out of here. But Paul saw faith, and the man had faith, and I love what it says here. It saw, you know, I love the way he, he says, he, he's listening to him, he fixed his gaze on him, and what? He's seen that he had the faith to be made well. Wow. All of this in the middle of his message, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, sensing what's going on in the people who are receiving from him. He realizes this guy has faith to be healed. What an awesome moment. Th these are the divine appointments you and I should look for. You say, well, I'm not the apostle, Paul. Greater things than this shall you do, amen. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Don't give me that, I'm not the apostle Paul, I'm not the pastor. You're one of God's children filled with the same Holy Ghost that raised Jesus from the dead. So if you and I will get filled with the Holy Ghost and be in the Word and be in prayer and be looking for a divine appointment, you and I are going to lock eyes with someone and we're going to say, oh, there's something there. All the time, I can feel people, I can feel this guy's ripe, this guy's close. <laughs> and then you feel some people, big wall. Come on, if you're spiritually sensitive, if not, repent and get spiritually sensitive. 
So he, he feels the faith and he feels this guy, this guy has the faith to be made whole. Now Paul takes a, a leap of faith here in verse 10 when he says, he said with a loud voice, oh, that takes guts. He didn't pull him aside and say, hey, let me talk to you, buddy. What's going on in your life? He said with a loud voice, this is a leap of faith. This is, this is uh, spiritual boldness. Why? Because, you know, he's going to put it out there for everybody to hear. He, he takes this leap of faith. He doesn't whisper in the man's ear. He doesn't, you know, ask him a bunch of questions. He doesn't say, you know, tell me what's going on in your life. He says it loud and proud and blurts it out in the crowd. Wow, that rhymed and it's not in my notes. It's just the Holy Spirit. <laughs> It takes boldness. It takes spiritual guts. It takes confidence in your ability to hear God sometimes. But when we can be bold like that because we know what the Holy Spirit's saying, we should just be loud with it. We should just come out with it. The, the man, he, he tells him, stand upright on your feet. Now everybody in, in the crowd and the man was probably like going to say what? Uh, have you seen his feet? There's no strength in him. There's no muscles. There's, it's bones. He's never walked. Hey, 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 Paul, you know, uh, th th this guy, you know, you probably don't know. Didn't matter. The Holy Spirit put it in his heart. He says it boldly. He speaks to this guy. Stand upright on your feet. Now that takes boldness. And verses 11 through 18, you know, showing us how this miracle impacted the situation. But basically the video, you know, does a good job of him slowly kind of like a newborn, you know, a newborn horse standing up a little wobbly at first and then all of a sudden a little bit of strength. You know, there again, no videotape from the Bible either. But that's a good indication of the fact that this guy who had no strength in his legs stood to his feet and began to walk. An incredible miracle, a miracle that everybody in the region there is going to be affected by. Now, verses 11 through 18 show us that while miracles are great and they have a great ability to convince the hearts of men that God is real, man's response to miracles can be messy. Have you ever seen cults and religious organizations that claim this miracle and that miracle and oh we got a statue that's got blood coming out of its eyes or we got you know the stigmata the the holes in Jesus's hands somebody got them have you have you heard stuff like that some of this stuff is just a distraction of the devil some some miracles can be valid miracles but then the way people respond to the miracle is not to run to god and and seek after his holiness but to just you know celebrate the supernatural and create some spiritual shrine that doesn't honor god but just is religious hello so verses 11 through 18, we see the way the people respond to this miracle. This guy, everybody knew, gets up and he's healed and he's, you know, he's basically running around and, and, and everybody knows that God used these two guys to heal him. Why? Because Paul said it loud and in the crowd, he said, stand up. And the guy stood up. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, oh, that's the wrong interpretation right out of the box. Paul didn't do anything except be obedient. Hello, the Holy Spirit did it. God did it. Anytime man takes the credit for a supernatural act of God, you know, something's wrong. Now, Paul didn't take credit, but they ascribed it to him. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, wrong right out of the box, they raised their voice, saying in Lyconian language, the gods, little g, have come like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, now we got pagan priests 
who worshiped the idol Zeus, this Greek god, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowd. So here's their response to this miracle. They respond by wanting to offer sacrifices to men and start calling these two disciples of the living God, gods themselves. Wrong response, ugly response, messy response, a response that demands that Paul and Barnabas do something to, to stop what's about to happen here. Could you imagine if they started sacrificing animals to, to these two guys? Hey, look, I like a good steak just as much as anybody else. But men don't accept sacrifices that are only warranted for God. And thank God that these guys had enough integrity. Do you know there are some people <laughs> that do spiritual stuff and the accolades are showered upon them and they soak them up? Hello? Most of the time, we should deflect a lot of what, oh, you're this and you're that. You know, you have people, uh, you know, maybe this doesn't happen to you, but I don't know. But, you know, you have people just wanting to put stuff on you. Maybe you prayed for them. Maybe you showed up in a time of need and they want to ascribe things to you that, that the glory really should go to God. Once you feel that, man, don't touch the glory. Don't take it, deflect it, tell them, no, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Okay, it's very important. Why? Here's why it's important. The Holy Spirit revealed this to me today. There are some people who have gifts and ministry capabilities and even callings on their life that God can't activate them because they don't have the humility and they don't have the, the, the self-control enough to walk in those gifts because when the accolades come and when the fruit comes, they'll suck it up for themselves. And the Holy Spirit was just showing me this today. That, you know, if there's things in us that we, we have not fulfilled, it's because of character issues that we need to get straightened out. Oh, there's some deep stuff here, man, I'm telling you. Some, some of these things that the Lord is showing me here that, uh, you know, man, if God would have given us the thing that we wanted, we, we would not have the character to sustain it, and it would literally destroy us. These guys did have the character. God picked the right people for the job. They didn't want the, the sacrifices. Uh, they refused the worship. They didn't want offerings made to them. They tore their clothes, and they stopped the whole party. Did you notice that? Here comes the, the priest, and they got the cattle, and they're playing. I noticed they played drums. Did you notice that? They, the, did you hear the drums in the video? Always with pagan worship. It's the, yeah, Pastor Frank is in agreement with me there. But Gary and Phil sanctify the drums. But I just, I noticed that, you know, there was drum playing. That's all. There's no guitars. I'm just telling you there was drums. So, you know, here comes all these pagans and it's a big party and they're excited. Woo, we're going to sacrifice and there's going to be food. And all of a sudden these guys come out tearing their clothes. Party poopers. And they stop the whole party. You hear the record go whoosh. And they're like, we're men. We're just men like you. We're, we're, we're nothing special. Look, look, you know, I don't even work out. He's like, I got nothing here. <laughs> Just a man. <laughs> and it says that, you know, they, they tried everything. He he's gives glory to God. He's like, you know, we, we came here to bring you the gospel. And God, he gives you rain and he gives you crops and he, he gives you joy in your hearts. It's all from God. It's not from us. And they're like, they want to still offer sacrifices. They, it, it was hard for them to slip out of their paganism. I mean, that's going to take time, but their response here 
is messy. So we want miracles and we need miracles. But when there are miracles, we need to help people have the right response and give glory to God and not anywhere else. So miracles can be messy at times. People, uh, people want to, you know, people who are lost want to be worshipped. You know that. Yeah. These Hollywood stars, these music stars and all that. There was a time when Eric Clapton, who was, you know, a groundbreaking guitarist, they used, to, they used to do graffiti on the walls in England. Clapton is God. And they asked him in an interview one time, what do you say about that? He says, rubbish. Good response, Eric. Because he had enough humility to deflect that. And some people don't, but... It's a little messy, the situation is here. Verse 16 through 18, uh, he, he points to the goodness of God and he tries to deflect it. And they're, they reluctantly don't have their little party there. But in verse 19, the whole situation gets inflamed. The Jews follow them from Antioch and Iconium and they follow them to this place. <coughs> and they were the ones who opposed them. And what does it say that they do? They turn the crowd against them. Here's this great miracle. Here's this guy who was crippled from birth. He's healed. The crowd wants to worship them. The next thing you know, this same crowd is fired up and turned against them. And now this same crowd wants to stone them. <laughs> Please, if this doesn't show you to never put your trust in the crowd. Oh, everybody likes me. Everybody says I'm terrific. Everybody thinks I'm great. That can turn on, that can and will turn on a dime. The same crowd that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, said, crucify him, give us Barabbas. It's amazing how people, oh, I just want the crowd. I want the affection of the crowd. I want a big crowd. Huh. Be careful what you wish for. This crowd that just wanted to worship them said, ah, if we can't worship them, let's stone them. We're going to party either way. So they have a stoning party and, and they stone him and they throw him outside of the city and, and instead of worshiping him they try and kill him and they beat him so bad and throw him out of the city gate they leave him there for dead verse 20 through 21 show us that Paul wasn't dead or maybe he was dead and God revived him we, we don't know but they thought he was dead and they stopped and they left him there and God gets him back up on his feet and what does this guy do he flees to a safe house he goes to the underground. No, he goes right back in the same town. As your lawyer, I would advise you not to do this. <laughs> Does it seem sometimes not smart at some of the things that God asked us to do? God, you sure about this town? We got to go back in this. No, can we pick another town? Go right back in. God is showing boldness and confidence in him and the message and that you know what you guys can't kill what i'm doing man can't kill what god is doing if god is for us who could be against now just think about the condition that paul is in here he's preaching he's loving people he's having the right heart he's out serving god he, he, he's deflecting praise he's trying to get people to see god and what do they do they they stone him i mean he's all beat up there's contusion bruises blood he probably lost teeth i mean what an ugly situation uh, enough to do i mean there are some people that leave church and never come back because the pastor didn't shake their hand that sunday morning Look at the tenacity in God's apostles. I say we need some of that. Huh. 
people say you need thick skin to be a Christian. Paul had some pretty thick skin with a lot of scars and scratches on it. But there was no quitting him, and it's a beautiful thing to me. Paul and Barnabas, they leave, they move, they go to Derb, and they, they leave the next day for Derb, and they continue preaching the gospel. They continue making converts. They continue seeing a revival throughout the region. So it's hard, and there's opposition, and there's people stirring up trouble, but there's no quitting them. Verse 22 through 23, we see uh, Paul and Barnabas acting in an apostolic fashion, and I want to point that out to you. Uh, what it says here. What did they do? They went to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. That's apostolic ministry. Encouraging them, continue in the faith. That's apostolic ministry. And through, and they said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So they're telling them, don't, don't shrink back uh, because there's tribulation. You know, continue, keep the faith. So they're, they're strengthening the church. That's what apostles do. They plant church and they strengthen the church. Verse 23, listen to this. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So not only do they encourage the church and strengthen the church, but by prayer and fasting, they appoint leaders in every church to shepherd the people. That's apostolic. Notice what God is doing here. He's developing a loose network of churches everywhere there are believers. He has an apostolic covering over them uh, th that's centralized in Jerusalem and Antioch there. And these guys are going out and they are installing leadership that is solid, that will have the, the tenacity to stand and to keep the people when they leave. Do you see what's happening here? The church is being born and God is knitting the structure together even in this missionary journey, the first one here, he is setting up things and there's an apostolic mantle on these two men and, and it is producing fruit and it is producing salvation and it's producing leadership. That's a good, that's a good model for the church, amen? So Paul and Barnabas are doing what apostles do and they are preaching and they're coming to opposition, verse 24 through 26, it gives us a summary of all the destinations they hit on the final leg of this first missionary journey. Poseidia, Pamphylia, Perga, Italia, and then they go back to Antioch after that. Uh, verse 27 and 28, they report all the news to their home base there in Antioch. You know, they're, they're telling them everything that the Lord has done. They spend a long time in Antioch and they're debriefing uh, and they're recovering and they go back there and it's kind of like their home base. And I want to say, and let me read that to you and then we're going to talk about it. When they had arrived, they gathered the church together. So here, you know, they come and went and they reported all things that God had done with them on how he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentile and they spent a long time with the disciples. So notice, uh, they have accountability, they have a home base, and this is important for us to understand. There's some principles here. All of us who do ministry need a home base. We need a home church and we need the covering, uh, we need pastoral covering over our lives. You know, I hear people, you know, well, I, I started a ministry or I started a church or I started this. Well, and I always ask people, well, who's your home church? Oh, I don't have one. Who's your pastor? I don't have one. I'm really leery about that. I have people walk in all, all the time and tell me, you know, I'm the pastor of this, I'm the pastor of that. You know, and I just, and uh, please be careful. Self-appointed, self-anointed. 
Who's your pastor? Who's your covering? Where, did you go get any training? Did you study under any? I mean, just you popped up like a Holy Ghost mushroom. You just fell off the coconut cart and now you're in charge. You started your own thing. You sent away for a diploma of, uh, uh, five by seven suitable for framing and now you're Reverend Dr. So-and-so. <sighs> Notice the structure. Notice the order. All of us need a home base. All of us need a covering. Uh, we all need places to go to be refreshed. What did they do? They spent a long time just telling them what God had done. Why? Because it was refreshing them. These guys literally needed time to heal up. I mean, they were beat up. Anyone been stoned? This, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> but I mean, could you imagine? Bruised and beaten, just, but the, the joy of the Lord is there. Why? Because they're doing God's will. They're in order. They have a covering. They have a home base. They have a support structure. They have the Holy Spirit, and they have the joy of the Lord. And understand, you and I are called to do ministry, but we're called to do it in God's order with the proper covering, with the right heart, submitted and covered in such a way that even in opposition, even in hardship, we can produce fruits and do it safely for our own souls. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for the word. I thank you, uh, God, that you do amazing things through ordinary people. Father, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice would understand and believe that you've called them to articulate the gospel, to be preachers, to be evangelists, to share their faith. Lord God, every one of us are called. Help us to do it in order with the right heart. Help us to have humility that we would always deflect uh, improper accolades where people want to ascribe things to us. But Lord, we would always point to Jesus because without you, we're nothing, God. We were nothing when you saved us. We were lost and blind and destined for hell. But Lord, you reached down in the muck and the mire and you plucked us out as trophies of your grace. So God, help us to never get too big for our britches, but to have faith in you and to do amazing exploits for you and to not just sit on the sidelines, but to do things in the proper order to produce fruit. Because if you're for us, who can be against us? If you've given us a dream, who can kill it? We thank you, Lord God, for the book of Acts, a blueprint for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.